0: Welcome to Tillennial Horrors, the horror podcast where we're really good at zooming in on low-res pictures and finding faces hiding in the background. <laughs> this episode, we're finishing up our miniseries on found footage with two lesser-known films. Koji Shiraishi's 2005 mockumentary Noroi The Curse, and Joel Anderson's 2008 exploration of grief, Lake Mungo. Uh, I guess, yeah, these are two, I think, definitely lesser-known outside of the horror community. Yeah,
1: I think much loved inside the horror community in a kind of these are our secret things that not everyone's seen and we're gonna say that they're the best ever
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely there's a lot of oh well if you really want like you you should really check out Lake Mungo so you haven't seen Lake Mungo well
1: (laughs) (laughs) but partly I think it's because both of them until fairly recently were relatively difficult to get hold of
0: yeah absolutely I think I was thinking about when I first saw these and both of them are like, within a few years. I was mm. like, yeah, um, I guess if we're starting with the of the Curse, this one, I think I only saw maybe two or three years ago for the first time. Same. And yeah, on Shudder, which is where you can watch it, you can watch it. Both of these movies are on Shudder.
1: Yes, lovely Shudder. Yeah, well, because yeah. it was, you know, before it was like it was out on a DVD that's now out of print or whatever, so you had to kind of try and track it down on eBay or something, and now it's just like, it's on Shudder. Just press, press play. <laughs> I think uh, I was, in, th- in both cases, I had seen it on... Yeah, it must have been on a DVD that I'd bought from somewhere and I was kind of expecting, I think, that when I watched someone shudder they would be um, like much better visual quality. I'm not sure why I thought that because of fan footage. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> yeah, they look like shitty VHS tapes <laughs> intentionally.
0: <laughs> They're not going to get better than that. Yeah. With Neroy I think I was... I think I'd heard the title before but I really didn't know anything about it. And... Mm. Like I'm not even sure I'd seen like I think now you kind of tend to see the images of the mask and like there's some um, some of the big scares especially towards the end I think are, are a lot better known but really I think I I just heard the title Noroi the Curse before I watched it and it's, it's kind of interesting because it's from two thousand and five which is I think. I put it like kind of at the tail end of the first big J horror boom, but mm. given how accessible most J horror movies, well, the big ones, are, and how well regarded this one is, it's quite surprising that it's really was so difficult to get hold of.
1: Maybe because, like, by that point, things like Ring and The Grudge were well into their remake cycles, mm. and so maybe there wasn't then the appetite for the original. I don't know, maybe it's just a little bit too late.
0: I guess, like, it also is. With with a lot of the, those like kind of the spooky the ghost j horror ones the spooky ones, it's really easy to summarise what they're about. Yes, And <laughs> Noroi is not an easily digestible movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is why we haven't managed to get to the actual plot yet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it is presented as a mockumentary, and that it is the final. Um, final like work of a journalist who investigates supernatural goings-on right so he has now mysteriously disappeared after a house fire that killed his wife and this is the final thing that he was working on uh, before he went missing and then it's kind of like left to you to put together what might have happened to him by watching what he was working on um (laughs) what he was working on Uh, hmm. so god i don't even know where to start it's really like convoluted so there's thank you
0: for taking this one <laughs> so there
1: we we um sort of the beginning there's a lot of footage of a child psychic uh it's in these kind of tests that i guess have become familiar through things like the grudge and oh, i'm trying to think where else i've seen it and maybe it is in one of the ring sequels or something but they're these kind of tests that we've seen before where you know there's a symbol and the, the psychics being asked to tell what it is without seeing it and things like that and there's a kid and she even man- manages at one point to manifest some water with like a hair in it and they're like oh what's this <laughs> uh yeah so he was looking into that there's also a guy who has a tinfoil hat literally um and is talking about ectoplasmic worms and intergalactic things coming to get you so there's kind of a vague sense that there's there's something much wider going on and also there's a woman and her small child although it will turn out when that's not quite what it seems either but a woman and a a small boy who have been moving around from place to place lots of suicides seem to be following them around and somehow all these things will tie together into one absolutely nightmarish uh, vision right at the very end I kind of had a Google this afternoon for things like uh, Naroi the curse ending explained. And (laughs) there's a lot of forum posts about that. (laughs) And nobody seems to quite know. um, Because I thought maybe it was that because I'm not Japanese, obviously I'm missing some of the nuances of the language, but also the cultural references and and things like that with the the rituals that we see in the demonic stories and whatever else. But it does kind of seem like it's just
0: a lot going on. Yeah, there's just so much, and yeah, there's a, um, there's reality TV show segments with an actress mm. who's playing herself.
1: God, uh, I forgot that, but yeah.
0: yeah, who goes to a temple that's associated with whatever it is that's happening very early on, and then she kind of comes back in about an hour in, I think. I remember the first time I watched this, I think I had a cold, and I, it's I didn't really get on with it because I just struggled to keep track of everything that was going on, yeah. and my first impression of it was that it was just too messy. Um, I thought the ending was great, but like it's, there's, I thought it was too baggy and there was too yeah. much going on, and I just thought, yeah, it's a big mess. And then I watched <laughs> it again for this, and really liked it a lot more <laughs> from being more awake and less poorly and being able to actually pay attention to it. And I think that's one of the things that is really impressive about it, is that it does all seem to tie together, even though there is so much going on. There's, yeah. there's unanswered questions, but I think... Yeah, on the second watch, I was really impressed. Like, oh, that thing from earlier. Like, that is actually coming back quite nicely.
1: I think Uh, it is partly a second watch thing, though, as well as being mm -hmm. ill. Because I had the similar experience where, like, the first time I was like, oh, there's just loads of things and, and, yeah, there's the big scare. And then watching it again, I was like, oh, I kind of like this more now because I can see where they're going with various things. So they'll mention a name early on or something or you'll see this kind of scary face (laughs) um, that you don't really know what it is and and, uh, all those things kind of come back together later so I think it is more enjoyable on second watch anyway just because you can look for those things and and feel like you're getting more out of it and probably if I watched it again I would get a better grasp on on some of the strange but again I think. but yeah I think what you, what you say is true that it is baggy there's a lot of repetition as well yeah. like they will kind of explain some things and you, uh, or re-show you the same footage there's that bit with the, the reality show where they go out in the woods and then they'll kind of be like look behind you there was this all along that you didn't see but I think it is kind of more pleasurable piecing those things together once you know what you're kind of working towards.
0: Yeah I think I agree and especially early on there's so much it feels quite heavy-handed quite a lot of it early on because there'll be like a shot of... There's a bit early on where he's he's gone to visit a woman uh, or a family and their daughter and then she like waves by at the camera and there's a lot of kind of zoom in. It's like this like this family died hours <laughs> later or something. There's quite a lot of that early on where they'll be like... Yeah. They'll be looking at someone and then it's like, oh, by the way, this person died hours later. There's not really like a build of mood. It kind of goes hard pretty early on and stays at the same... Here's another spooky thing that's about to happen... This is obviously yeah. suspicious.
1: And because it's, it's sort of presented as a kind of semi-unfinished documentary, mm. it, it doesn't explain itself a lot of the time because, yeah, this guy kind of disappeared before the mystery had been resolved. And there's lots of just kind of symbols that you're like, you know, that that there the, the, there are birds flying into places and you're like, okay, well, now I'm looking for that, but why am I looking for... What, what is this telling me? Or there's... um. Uh, a strange knot chain thing that the the woman that they're trying to track down makes, and they find in a few different locations. Mm. And you're like, okay, that's creepy and a sort of Blair Witch hanging stick man in the trees kind of a way. But I don't know what I'm doing, supposed to do with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's so much. Yeah, just so much stuff, like creepy ghosts in the background, people being possessed, <laughs> kind of for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, tinfoil hat guy. It's, it's just feel kind of overstuffed in a lot of ways. But I think on the second watch, you, you, yeah, when you know it's all going towards something and you know that a lot of it, most of it's going to pay off. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just feels a lot creepier on the second watch, I think, knowing where yes. it's, it's going to go.
1: Yeah, I, I usually feel like a lot of those articles that are kind of like explaining what this was about on the internet are just bad journalism but for this one I was like actually maybe I would like my hand held a little bit <laughs> um partly partly even just just a sort of a cultural thing i just want a japanese person to say oh yeah that's what this because there's a big thing about this um ritual that's only done at a certain shrine is it in the number of claps or something there's something very specific about the how these things work and i feel like it's quite far outside of kind of my life experience, I suppose, like that kind of thing of the temples and the rituals and everything that I feel like I would get more out of that if I were more immersed in Japanese culture,
0: perhaps. Yeah, the Kagutaba demon stuff all comes in quite late. It's definitely <laughs> yes. all in the second hour, I think, isn't it? And by that point, it almost feels like you've, I think on the first watch of pastry, like I've kind of been overwhelmed by the amount of information in the first hour.
1: <laughs> Much of
0: which is not going to really go anywhere
1: <laughs> I was looking for these intergalactic ectoplasmic worms.
0: <laughs> the Worms and psychics and everything. But what you really need to be paying attention to is this ritual that happens in this small town and where have all the dogs gone. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting as well. Like it's so little um, like character development as well. Given mm. that it's two hours, all of the information is about what's going, what's happening, the mm. supernatural stuff and the history. There's not really a huge amount of, who the documentary filmmaker is and you know that he, have a, he has a wife and kind of see a bit of that um. yeah
1: considering I guess that the beginning of the setup up is uh, he's gone missing and his wife died in suspicious circumstances in this fire and stuff you think that that's going to be more like emotionally affecting by the time he gets to the end it kind of isn't apart from you know this woman's died for no reason really but <laughs> but yeah you don't get a lot of insight into the actual characters I don't think
0: No, and it's, yeah, there's no kind of. I guess because it is all his footage apart from Mm. the very beginning and the very end where his point on tape is found and sent in a creepy package to the newspaper. But then, yeah, I I think one of the reasons why it's so good is that when it does go for scary, it is really scary, I think. Some of the images in it are properly nightmarish and horrible.
1: Well, I think as well, sometimes things that are unexplained and inexplicable are scarier because you they're deliberately making you try to put the pieces together and so you when on this one where we're not really involved um through characters like we're we're more involved in the plot I suppose mm-hmm. and we're trying to figure it out and it doesn't give you all the answers so it is forcing you to to try and put that together and that kind of draws you in more and that makes it scarier because you're imagining... I think it's something we talked about with the Blair Witch Project, like, you're imagining the thing that scares you the most, kind of. So, you know, you're like, are there aliens? What are these things in the woods? (laughs) Like, ultimately, are they ghosts? Is there... What is it? What's going on? We don't know, but it's terrifying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And he's he's always catching up with the thing after it's happened, mostly. Yeah. Apart from the very end, obviously. But, yeah, he's always arriving after the event pretty much and you kind of see the consequences of it you find out that this person's now died or Mm. he kind of finds the thing on the footage later on rather than at time and stuff but yeah some of those images I think um the little girl at the at the shrine covered in the ghost children is yeah all right yes
1: yeah Uh, yeah in a way that that is kind of a shame that that's the image that I think you see of this film but like in the same way as the ring, like the image that everybody knows is is Sadaka climbing out of the TV, and yeah. if you know that going in, that kind of ruins your experience. I suppose in this one it doesn't entirely ruin it because you have no way of interpreting what the hell is going on in that image <laughs> before you get there.
0: Yeah, and the same with the mask. I think where you kind of mm. think it's going to play a bigger role because of how heavily featured it is on the poster, but really it's kind of it's really not in it very much at all, apart from at the very end.
1: I think it's just because you have to pick something. That looks iconic, and the rest of the film is not really because it's just people talking and then blurry footage of things in the background, maybe or someone ranting about something incoherent. Like that's not as striking as a creepy-looking mask.
0: No, and it's so brutal. The ending as well. It's absolutely. I think. Yeah, I don't know how much to spoil because (laughs) I have seen it. I've seen it, but the ending is really. Yeah, I know. Kind of Japanese ghost stories tend to have pretty unforgiving endings, but this is. (laughs) really nasty and also like you said kind of it's it's still kind of elements of it unexplained Mm. and you're sort of like oh right so it's over now and this is horrible for everyone
1: i feel like a lot more films of this sort of era um did have that especially fan footage films that element of like this is a true story and something remains unexplained like we don't know what really happened to these people like I sort of miss that. I, I enjoy that as a as a conceit and as a thing that you know gives you something to talk about on the way home. Not in the way that what's that? Oh, I have forgot what it is. Is it the devil inside? Whichever the one is that ended with like. And now go to the website. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that thing of like, yeah, like, this feels like an experience that belongs to the past. The idea of like sitting around and talking to your friends about a film you've seen, about what you think you saw, and. Partly the kind of VHS era um, encouraged that, just because the image quality wasn't as sharp, uh, as well as the storytelling kind of in- encouraging that. I don't, I can't think of the last film where I had that feeling. Like, well, what do you think was happening? What do you think the you know real explanation?
0: Yeah, I guess some of the A twenty four movies have it, but I think they kind of I don't know, you go always. When these movies come out, now, then they tend to create frustration more than kind of injury. yeah. I don't. I think it's like it's what like what we're talking about with a lot of the Japanese movies on that earlier podcast is that yeah, it's such an American thing for or like a Western thing for a a, a film needs answers, it needs to, it needs an ending, and yeah, I wonder if like <laughs> yeah, that's partly why yeah, and Roy feels like it gets you so hard is because it's like oh yeah, there's no <laughs> that's just it's, that's the end of the tape. That's all there is. Um, yeah. Yeah, no one's going to come along and like tell you why there's no Ed and Lorraine Warren coming.
1: <laughs> I think there can be a cleverness in not answering things, but it has to be or deliberate, and it also has to be not the result of just incoherence.
0: Yeah, agreed. There's nothing more frustrating than not feeling like the filmmakers know what the answer is.
1: Mm-hmm. But I remember that with like like Inception, the very end, the end of Inception, and there was all this stuff online of trying to definitively decide like what that meant and to me I thought that the ambiguity of that ending was the point like that you don't know and I, I literally was like well that that is that's why that's like that like there isn't a right or wrong answer the whole point is for you to kind of think about it and I don't know if that is the point I'm not particularly a Christopher Nolan fan but um but yeah that the thing of, of having ambiguity being the point and the evidence kind of leading to different things is not the same as not having an answer but
0: yeah, having agreed. multiple yeah. possible answers
1: have you seen any other films by this director
0: i think the only one i've seen is sadako versus Kayako, which i didn't same. realize was him <laughs> until it was sort of on the spreadsheet it was, ah, nice. <laughs> i didn't um, know that until i looked it up today on wikipedia <laughs> no it, i see like he's been solidly working and that he's done there seems to be more found footage stuff, like fake documentaries and more uh culty type things. But yeah, no, I haven't yeah, Sarako versus Kayako is the only other one of his I've seen.
1: I think a lot of them are kind of um urban legendy type stuff. But Sarako versus Kayako feels a million miles away from this.
0: <laughs> yeah, completely. I mean, well, there are other shrines and there's That's um, true. Yeah, there's uh some attempted supernatural natural expertise going on. I do have a lot of love for Saliko vs. Kayako. I think it's from when I saw it, I saw it at Fright Fest, and it's one of those uncomplicated good time movies, and it's got a good song at the end.
1: I was going to say, basically, it has a good theme song, which immediately, like, bumps things up a star on. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> It's interesting, because I think Naroi is deceptively well-made, sounds like I'm kind of negging it, but... Yeah, I do think it's really impressive how it's put together, and it makes me want of mm. when I finished it this time, I was like, "Oh, I want to watch that again, like quite soon, to see mm. if I kind of keep finding stuff in it to like more." Yeah. Um, yes,
1: it doesn't break its conceit at all, and and no. I I think it works really well the way that that's all set up, you know, because uh, we've talked about this so much, but the th- thing with found footage being like, why are you still filming, or like, mm. why does this exist, or why has this been edited? Like, all of that is completely handled in yeah. quite a satisfactory way, and it never breaks that.
0: Yeah, it's all so well put together and and genuinely scary. And I was thinking, like, oh, why hasn't there been a remake of it? And I was like, I don't think you could remake it. At least no. Honest, like, you'd have to do a lot of changes to... Yeah.
1: yeah, I think I almost want to try and figure out how you would do that. <laughs> I almost want to try and write a remake of it, because you would have to completely change
0: mm. a
1: lot of things. But um, I guess it would be possible. <laughs> I want to make it now but in- instead of it being like a, a documentary maker it would be like a YouTuber as the main character
0: I think yeah so many of the like the, the plot elements towards the end like yeah like the, the fetuses and whatnot, like and the <laughs> real nastiness of the ending He's, even only knew it was coming like it still hit really hard the stuff with the little boy is just mm-hmm. yeah that shot of him is like ooh. Um <laughs> There's so
1: much going on in it. <laughs> we can end That's up watching it again to watch. tonight. <laughs>
0: yeah, just
1: got to watch Naroy again. Okay, so Naroy is one that we like. We would want to watch again. Our second feature for this episode, Lake Mungo, I am going to end up not making many friends, I think. <laughs> Cause I am not a fan of this film at all. Just putting it out there. <laughs> it's not for me. I saw your
0: letterboxd review. <laughs> Let's review that just ends with like fuck off or something <laughs> I do like Lake Mungo mm. um yeah I first saw it um probably about seven or eight years ago now I think I think it was Anton Vittel who suggested that I watch it and I think I got the DVD off Love Film I think it was I, I still use Cinema Paradiso and I love that and Love Film for when things are out of print you might still be able to get them off kind of the DVD rental services, and that's been just a random shout out to Samar Paradiso. (laughs) And I liked it about as much the same the second time, I think. I don't think I love it with my whole heart like a lot of other people seem to, Hmm. but I do think it's very effective.
1: (laughs) I feel like if I am being my most generous self, that's potentially the reason that people like this film, or people relate so hard to this film and love it so much is a personal thing. Like, if you have experienced grief, I think it probably hits a lot harder. Like, like, the loss of a, of a, you know, a very close person. Like, obviously, I've had people die in my life, um, but not someone as close as a sibling or parent. And I think maybe if you have lost someone close, like, a lot of the depiction of grief in this film maybe, like, connects.
0: I think that's its strength, definitely. And that's what I get the most out of it.
1: Mm.
0: yeah I think especially the second half and the the very first segment and because the plot takes a lot of twists and turns in terms of what it's trying to get you to look at and I think there's, yeah the sections where it's really foregrounding how people deal with grief and loss and look for meaning in things I think that's what I like most about it
1: yeah um, that's what I like most about it too but <laughs> um, okay so we should do a quick story recap I suppose so I mean I mean essentially this is it's it there's a girl who is out at the the lake of the title with her friends and she seems to drown and no one quite knows what happened and then her family think or feel that maybe she's haunting them and mysterious figures start showing up in the background of kind of photos and videos and and they're, they're just trying to kind of figure out I guess what happened and whether they are still in her presence, I guess, or whether whether she died at all, like just just trying to figure out what on earth happened and how they how they can process that.
0: Yeah, and it's all yeah. So it's like Naroya is a mockumentary. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly it's almost. I don't think Naroya's got any talking heads. But this is a lot of yeah the way, it's, the way it's structured is interviews with the family members and sort of people who knew the missing girl Alice is it Alice the name sorry?
1: Yes Alice yeah. Palmer
0: Alice Palmer and it's a lot of teeing you up to think that one thing's happening and then a revelation that explains that you're looking in the wrong place essentially and that the kind of true crime story you think you're watching is not that or like the, the kind of ghost story you think you're watching is actually not what's going on and mm. it feels a lot like a podcast. Do you know what I mean? Like yes.
1: the way it's structured
0: yeah. is—I don't know. It made me think, like, if this if this had come out maybe a few years later, if, like it might have been a podcast first and then a, and then a movie. Yeah,
1: yeah, like one of those true crime podcasts.
0: But yeah, there's a lot of um zooming in on photos and zooming in
1: on <laughs> the Oh, there's so much like looking at blurry footage.
0: Yeah. And I I do, I I like what it's saying about kind of if you look hard enough at something, then you kind of see what you need to see, and kind of make what you believe is happening kind of, you can, you can force proof of that. Uh, I find the middle section a bit of a slog. Mm -hmm. And I think that's partly because it seems to be doing one too many pivots to something else happening. And maybe it's (laughs) because I've seen it before. Maybe this was a rewatch thing. Maybe. Maybe. And I was like, come on. <laughs> I'm not fooled. Get to the next bit. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, th- I just find this whole movie a slog, to be honest. I just find it really dull. And I don't know. I just I just find it really hard to connect with. And I'm not sure why that is, because something like Hereditary, maybe, has, has a similar sort of uh, focus on, yeah, like a family's grief and and how that affects them. I mean, obviously there's a lot more going on there, but like I have enjoyed media <laughs> that is about <laughs> similar themes. Um And I don't know this one. I know I just, I, I, every, I was gonna say every time I watch it, I have only seen it twice, but like both times, I think I was super aware that people whose opinion I respect really, really dig this film. And I
0: just don't get it. Like I just don't see what they see. I, don't, I think there's a lot to the, of authenticity of the talking heads Uh, Mm. i think the performances especially the parents are really good um and the relationships all feel very natural and i think like things like the the boyfriend feels like perfectly cast and stuff like that i think it feels as as a fake documentary it feels very authentic i think
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. is it because i haven't seen twin peaks
0: (laughs) i don't think it no (laughs) I mean, it's obviously very inspired by Twin Peaks. Yeah, Uh, yeah, the Palmer business. But uh, there's, like, a refusal to be uh, right up until, like, the end. Because, like, Twin Peaks is, like, completely inhabited by kooks and weirdos. And the closest thing you get to that, really, is um, the psychic, who's an incredibly grounded version of a psychic, who's just a guy called Ray who changed his name to be more, kind of, trustworthy in Australia and stuff, and it's just it's it's so kind of i don't know like tv documentary mm. and i guess I, th- I think i do like it a lot and i think that grounded feel pays off when it does go scary and i do find you know i, I was watching it uh with my partner in the room and the cat and i was watching on my headphones and i jumped at the jump bit really big and, yeah, made everyone like
1: laugh. Oh, the jump scare doesn't work for me either, I just <laughs> oh, I don't know, I just there's just something, there's some barrier between this that just doesn't work on me and I can't, I want to have the experience that everyone else is having I'm just not, it's like oh, it's just so boring though um, <laughs> I don't know No, the, the thing that I can't stop thinking about though is you saying about it being a podcast and like, uh, have you Listen to the the podcast Uncanny, or Haunted, by Danny Robbins, uh, who okay. also did the Battersea Poltergeist. The, I've been listening to this a lot recently, doing my little walks around the neighbourhood, <laughs> COVID safe walks with the podcast. And it's it's yeah it's examining people's stories of something spooky happening to them but then talking to experts to try and figure out like what could have been going on and a lot of it is about you know talking about the uh psychological ways in which we look for meaning in things that don't have any meaning or you know we see faces in the background or we like there are sounds that can make us feel weird even if we don't consciously know that we're hearing them like distant machinery or whatever can can make you feel creeped out in places and all these these things that can kind of like affect you that explain why people say oh that building feels bad feels haunted and stuff and I feel like this film would fit really well into that format like you could easily like look at this and and kind of try and take it apart but I think that kind of stuff is fascinating in a way that I almost want to see it yeah in a film because I almost find it scarier the idea that our brains are so easily affected by external things that we're just not aware of that the idea that like you can't necessarily trust what you're seeing at all because it might just be that um, it's dark, it's nighttime and you're half asleep and therefore you're hallucinating or you're just seeing things where there aren't things or you're hearing a noise or you're cold (laughs) or whatever it might be. I think that's so, so, so weird that we're not entirely in charge of our own perception.
0: I do find that stuff fascinating. I think that's kind of... I always love the investigative part of a ghost story, where, yeah, obviously, uh, like, Late Mungo does that, but I think we're <laughs> going to get into spoilers quite quickly, but, uh, so, go and watch it if you haven't watched it yet. But there's, yeah, the revelation that the son, Matthew, has been doctoring the photos and the video to put Alice in them to make it seem like she's still around. It's shocking, but it's kind of, it's... But then it kind of pivots to, like, well, there might actually still be a ghost, and... And there's, I think, uh, it's kind of deliberately muddy in that it kind of brings in potential kind of criminals in it mm-hmm. as well, kind of people who might have actually done it. But then there's no way of the the film kind of explains that they're they're missing, so there's no way of knowing kind of whether they did it or not. And it's it's, it's just kind of There's kind of a repetition of leading you down one path and then closing the door on it and making you go a different way. And I do find that structure interesting, but it's also I don't know. It's kind of deliberately frustrating. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well. I was yeah. going to say I find it frustrating here in the way that in Naroya didn't. Um and, and yeah, I guess it's it's a deliberate effect. But yeah, I don't I don't enjoy it. There's there's <laughs> a kind of a, it, it's really hard to kind of uh define, but there's a kind of ambiguity that's enjoyable and a kind that is frustrating, and I find that this is the latter.
0: Yeah, it's actually... cuz yeah, I, the ending it, it plays as Almost kind of the least ambiguous thing in it, where, mm. where like um, at the very end, you you see that Alice is in the pictures and is in the video and is still in the house, and that and I I find that really moving. I think there's the sequence where you kind of see how her nightmare and her mother's nightmare kind of overlap and they're just not seeing each other. and I think yeah, it's obviously making a point about how there are no answers and the trauma mm. just is with us forever. And I did wonder if this might be hitting your subtext of the text button quite hard. I was going to say,
1: um, I've just realised the way you were talking about it, but what it's hitting in my brain is that what I don't like about Mike Flanagan's of work is hitting <laughs> the Mike Flanagan button. Yeah, I bet he loves this film.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sure he does. But I don't, yeah, I, I, I definitely count myself among the people who find it moving. And I think people trying to make sense of loss and looking for answers and kind of, Reconciliation is, yeah, always going to get me. But I think, so. yeah, I think I'm on kind of like a four-star for Late Mungo rather than, <laughs> I think I know a lot of people who are kind of hug Late Mungo with both arms. And, yeah. <laughs> I just felt, yeah, and I think all the stuff about that she sees her own death coming for her, mm. that obviously taps into lovely old ghost story tradition that I think I've been able to watch The Signalman, the ghost story for Christmas, at Christmas, and... It's so good, but it's got a similar it's people a character struggling to make sense of a vision of something nightmarish mm. that is coming. And yeah, that they're de- like the the horrible event is inevitable, it just hasn't reached you yet. Um, yeah. And that's something I find very interesting, but yeah.
1: But you know what you could watch instead of this? What's that? Final destination. <laughs> 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 I mean, Death
0: has a design, you know
1: That's a design and it's inevitable and you can't escape it.
0: <laughs> what this film needed was Tony Todd.
1: What this yeah, it needed Tony Todd and um some much more elaborate <laughs> way of dying. <laughs> oh god. I just maybe I'm, I don't know. I just I just want it to be more of a horror film, I think, rather than a meditation on grief.
0: Yeah, and I think it's there's kind of one bit that's scary. And I guess, you know, the whole setup is nightmarish, but like yeah. the that big scare, I think it works really nicely that it's just, there's like one big jump in the whole film, mm-hmm. but I also do find myself getting a bit bored around the kind of 35-water <laughs> minute mark of late manga.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, like, I laughed when I said Found a Destination, but I, as you know, will argue that that film is, or oh, that franchise, does have a really, really scary, like, theme uh in that yeah it is all about the inevitability of death and that is obviously like the main theme of all of our fears (laughs) is that like we all know that we're gonna die and we don't know what that means really like we can't comprehend what that is and so any film that deals with that is or should be like inherently scary and I think I just find it more enjoyable when a film does something like wacky and creative with that <laughs> where it's like you're scaring me with you know the existential horror of existence but mm. like also there's some splatter or something
0: <laughs> yeah I've been really like craving J-horror a lot recently so, mm. I go, uh, sorry Naroy was lovely but I've been really kind of itching to go back and watch The Ring and um that <laughs> water again and I guess yeah that's kind oh. of what I want for my ghost stories really is yeah. like the the atmosphere. I think *Late manga does have a lovely atmosphere and the soundtrack's great, but I think it's not one that I'd rewatch regularly because the clever structure is kind of not something I want from all my films. I yeah. want sometimes there's <laughs> a puzzle to put together. Yeah, sometimes
1: like a, I want a puzzle. Sometimes I want to be creeped out. Sometimes I want to cry. Sometimes I want, yeah, a good jump, a good cathartic jump scare, um, or like many of them ideally <laughs> but yeah this one it, it it's not for me so that's kind of it for fan footage for us for this little mini series i think we've pretty much rinsed every 2000 <laughs> fan footage movie that there was uh, obviously fan footage continued into the 2010s and beyond i'm sure we've not seen the end of it um, do you think there is still anything that can be done with found footage? Do you think there's still a point to doing it?
0: I think so. I think there'll always be... I think i like, will always be like a sucker for like a good fake documentary. Mm. Um, especially if it's really well done. And I think there was definitely a point where I was burned out with found footage, but then it only takes one good one for me to think, oh no, yeah, yeah that's really <laughs> well done. Like I remember reading the plot synopsis for Unfriended when that came out and thinking, mm. oh God... <laughs> really? and I watched it and I had such a good time. I loved it. Yeah. I do think yeah they'll they'll continue to be very good fan footage movies, but I think it's just one of those genres where when it's done badly it's so frustrating.
1: Yeah. It's very easy to do it badly. But like, yeah, you know, I guess we even even during the pandemic, like, we're still seeing them happen, like, um, host and mm. dash cam which i've not seen yet but i'm assuming from the title is going to be similarly fan footage um i think as well like we're starting to see some of the kind of tropes pop up in other mediums so like like tiktok there's a there's there's some horror things people doing like ghost stories and that kind of like oh i, I found something in my house and like shall mm. i go and investigate it and like that's really fun I think because it really goes back to what makes fan footage so compelling like it, it puts you in their shoes really like makes it feel like personal like you are what in someone else's perspective and mm. yeah it could be very creepy done right
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely and yeah yeah all it takes is a good idea I think yeah you don't need much of a budget for it
1: well you need some good actors <laughs> yes okay, yeah, that
0: is true that's a complete lie all you need for a good fan footage movie is a good idea some budget good actors a director knows what they're doing
1: <laughs> <laughs> and to remember who's holding the camera yes and, yeah which I guess actually weirdly is easier if you are on a super low budget because you probably only have the one camera so <laughs> you know where it, you know you can't be cutting to another camera that doesn't exist in the storyline because you wouldn't have one um yeah I think I think I still really enjoy fan footage as a as a sub-genre as a conceit as a way of telling story I think it can be really, really fun. And the more that we are in this world where everything's on Instagram story, on YouTube, on TikTok, whatever, like the more potential there is for finding fun things to do with it.
0: Mm. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay, cool. Well, um, I think that's us done for today. So in the meantime, while we figure out where we're going next, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ChillennialHpod. Um, and tell us your favourite fan footage movie.
0: What is your favourite fan footage movie, by the way? By
1: the way? <laughs> oh, I'm swerving that one. Because um, it's somewhere between, like, The Blair Witch Project, Cloverfield, and Paranormal Activity, depending on the day of the week.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> How about you? I think probably the same. Yeah. <laughs> probably Blair Witch. I did love Host. I thought House was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it is really good. Yeah.
1: Oh, I feel like this... Oh, I mean, Unfriended is amazing. Um
0: Yeah. And Rex probably
1: (laughs) (laughs) all the ones that we talked about on the podcast and said that we loved. (laughs) That's the (laughs) ones. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, we'll be back soon. If that's a threat or a promise.